What's going on, guys? Welcome to the April 21st Real Estate Q&A. My name is John Papaloni. And my name is Todd Wally. So today is going to be very, very interesting. And we have quite a few questions. I'm excited. How about you, Sadman? What's going on? Well, everything is good. Um, we are just keeping up with all the new stuff that is on the news and the interest rate and yeah so it's definitely interesting times now so let's see how the market will react towards all those new updates that we have oh for sure so yeah i mean i agree with you all right so let's get into question number one i saw an article that said the government was going to eliminate blind bidding then i saw an article that said they were not going to but give the owners the choice. Um, what is the truth about blind bidding? Okay, I think what they're trying to say here is that um, you have one article that says that uh, they're going to get rid of blind bidding. Then the article, that another article that says that um, they're going to give the owner the uh, choice. So, you know, it's one of those things that, yeah, I saw the same articles. I don't know if you did or not, but it's one of those things that... Um, they they wanted it to, you know the election is coming up it's it's actually in about a month and a half roughly and they wanted to address real estate like most elections are based on income jobs and stuff like that i think this election is going to be based on housing and affordability so with that being said one of the topics that did come up was blind bidding and how uh, some people feel it's unfair and they're basically taking their way to address this as uh, you know, part of their elections. So what the truth is that Doug Ford had uh, basically, uh, was it Doug Ford? I believe he made it that uh, yeah. the blind bidding can continue or it can be an open bidding. They're changing legislation to do that so that the homeowner can decide whether they want uh, a blind bid or an open auction. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the same thing if you think about it, because most of, I don't know about the sellers, what they would react towards that, but I believe a majority of them will be like, we want to keep it blind. Well, that's the thing, right? But I mean, at least it's it's a choice, not forced. It's a choice, yeah. Right? So I, I again, I think it's more of a political play for the election than anything to do with real estate, but that's just my opinion. Um, I mean, I have my thoughts on blind bidding too. Um, there's certain things that are good about it, but there's certain things that are not. Um, so at least it's a choice, which is, I think is good. So April 1st, 2023, almost a year from now, that's when they will give uh, an option for the seller to choose if their home to be listed with the open bidding or not. I didn't realize it was April. I thought it was May 9th because they banned foreign investing as of May 9th this year. Yeah. And also HST on assignment starts on May 7th. Yeah. May 7th, May 9th, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but yeah, this yeah. one is for April 2023, April 1st one. Because the, the, what, they, what they want to do is they want to implement some softwares where we agents use to do the open bidding. Yeah, all that's the training, true. All the training, all the software trial, like they want to, yeah. Absolutely. But anyways, I mean, it'll be interesting either way. So here it is. How would they stop foreign investing investors from driving up prices and keeping out locals from affording a home? Um, and that's what, we're, we're, ta what uh, we're talking about now with the banning of foreign investors. Uh, as of May 9th, they will not 
be able to buy in Canada. It will basically, uh, they if you don't live in Canada, they won't let you close. That's what it's going to come down to. So you couldn't possibly own the home if you wanted to. So they're doing that for about two years to give uh, Canadians a chance to buy in. Is there going to be loopholes? Well, like every everything out there, there's always loopholes. Uh, but, I mean, the intention is to block the foreign investment for two years. Um, it's going to be an interesting, you know, turnout. It's going to be interesting to see how that goes. And um, I'm sure gonna, there's going to be loopholes that people are going to try to find and use. But the intention is there. I mean... Being with, you know, in terms of foreign investing, I think the whole concept of banning it is kind of silly because if we're looking at statistics, the uh, whole foreign market is about 3%. So really, like, how is 3% of the total market going to make a drastic difference in the affordability issue? So I, I think the media tends to basically... They tend to overemphasize the foreign investors because I guess they don't know what else to talk about. But it's such a minor thing. So whether the foreign investors are there or not there, to be honest, it is a very minimal effect on the market anyways. Um, I hope that answers your question. I mean, it's pretty much just going to make it so you can't close on the home. Okay. So I'll, I'll go with question number two. Perfect. Um, are we in a seller's market or a buyer's market? I see home... I see homes say sold over asking while other homes have changed the price after a week. Should I be buying now or wait for a little longer? So in terms of the first part of the question, are we in a seller's market or a buyer's market? At the moment, because since we are just around one to two months of inventory, so it's considered a seller's market. Until, yes. Until it goes into like four to six, then it starts to be balanced and then it, it starts to be more into a buyer's market. But right now it's considered the seller's market. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, there has been a shift in the market. Absolutely. Yes, that is true that um, things are taking longer to sell, but the prices have had a minimal effect again. Mm -hmm. Um we're kind of going back to what I call normal real estate where you put in an offer and you negotiate again. Yeah. Right. So it's not just, uh, you know, throw as much money at the seller as you possibly can and hope for the best. I mean, that's kind of uh, changing. There are still certain areas that are hot spots, So it's still happening every so often, but it is quite rare compared to before. Yeah. And in terms of to hold or wait a lot, a little longer, um, well, we know that there's another two interest hikes coming up during the year 2022. So, like, it depends. It depends what area are you buying. Are you buying a condo? Are you buying a, a freehold? What do you think, John? I think in terms of waiting, I think that's a personal preference. It comes down to what happens is when you're trying to, you know, play the market, it's like going to the casino. You're rolling the dice and hope it lands the way you want it to. So you may wait and sure, even just say prices come down, but the extra interest that you pay may not over a period of time may actually not even save you money because you're just paying it monthly instead of paying it at once. And the opposite could happen where the prices can continue to go up and all it means this new interest rate is there's just more people who can't afford it, but the ones who could afford it will keep the prices up higher anyways, so you might just miss the mark anyhow. Um, 
there's no crystal ball. I really believe that it comes back to what we've always said. Real estate is a long-term investment. It is not a, uh, it's not a night at the casinos. You know what I mean? Like it's long-term. If you plan to hold on to the property and that's going to be the difference. If you're planning to hold on to it for a year or two, then you know what? It is really just a preference. You may be able to wait and see what happens, maybe waiting out because the effects might be minimal. You know, worst case scenario, if it goes up, you might end up paying an extra 30 grand if you got it wrong. If the interest rate screws it up, you might save 30 grand. It's a gamble on 30 grand, which is a lot of money, but it's not the end of the world. But if you're planning to hold on to it for a 10-year term. Or a five-year even. Or even a five-year. Yeah. But but even let's say take the long term because they say real estate doubles every 10 years. So regardless of what you buy it for now, for example, if you buy that house for a million dollars and just say it's only worth 920000 today as an example. In 10 years, that 920, like we'll go by the, what it's supposed to be worth, not what you paid. That 920 doubled is still 1.84. So regardless of whether you bought now, uh, or not, you're still ahead over a 10-year period. So I would say just get in the market as soon as you possibly can. And that would be my advice. If, it, if, it's, if it's a second property or a third property, and whether you get it or not, it doesn't really matter. You don't have to move anywhere. Then it's really a choice. I'm, I never believe in timing the market because most people lose when you time the market. So I, I just get in as soon as you can. Think of it as a long-term investment and and you will win. Yeah. So that's my uh, view. Have I missed anything? Do you think uh, anything different? No, no, I agree with you. It's, if it's a long-term, it doesn't matter when you buy it. As long as you find the, the right property or the right fit that you're looking for. Of course, we're not trying to rush to buy. It's just if you do find that property that checks most of the boxes because there's no such thing as perfect property. But if it checks most of the boxes, then I I find that it's 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 a good idea to put an offer and get it, even if that might prices might change six months later. But you that house might not be there after six months. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Next question. I saw a home with my agent on the weekend. It was listed for one point two million, and it's been on the market for two weeks now. I want to go and offer them a million dollars, but my agent says I don't want to go too low because I can offend the owners and they won't look at my offer after that. So basically they're telling me that if they get offended, there won't be any more negotiations. Should I really be worried about that? Um, well, we all have our opinions on that. Do you want to go first on this or do you want me to? <laughs> no, you go first. You go first. All right. Um, I look at it and say, how important is that house to you? If it's one of those things you like the house, but you're willing to continue uh, looking if you don't get it, then offer away. It doesn't matter if you offend them. Um, cause you never know if you don't ask, I wouldn't worry about offending people when it's just an offer, um, whether they're going to accept it when it's only been on the market for two weeks or not is a whole different, uh, you know, issue or question, but it's one of those things that again, unless you really, really love that house and you don't want to lose it no matter what, then you know what offer away. Don't worry about it. If you're worried that you won't have a second chance chances are your realtor is right in terms of home values because he's done his research. He or she has done the research. So they probably have an idea of what the market value is and, you know, maybe be a little bit more cautious. 
But I always say there's always plenty of homes out there. You know, I wouldn't worry about one home. I'd say offer away. That's my thought. But what do you think? Uh, I I would I would try and go to offer on maybe million something just to show that we're like not trying to offend them. Maybe a million twenty or something. Um, but yeah, again, if it's if it's not the, the one of your top choices, it's okay. It doesn't matter. But if it's your top choices, that gives you some kind of negotiation and trying not to offend the sellers. Yeah, yeah, precisely. So. Um... Yeah, I agree with you on that pretty much. So number four. I I keep hearing the government wants to start charging a capital gain tax on your principal home. What does that mean? How should I be worried? Yeah. I I don't think so. Did did they say that they're going to? It's popping up all over the internet. And I heard uh, Tim Hudak bring it up at the buzz conference. It's come up many times. Um, It could also be the... uh, the opposing party putting out rumors to, uh, you know, yeah. bring up their popularity. I do think I personally, just from my own speculative, uh, I, I, I believe for sure that it's come up. I believe for sure that it's been the talk, um, whether it's happening or not, who knows? I think it's too soon. Um, what, what does it mean? It basically means that right now, if you sell your rental unit, you're going to be subject to a tax that's called capital gains. That's roughly around 25% of what you earn. And it doesn't mean 25% of the home sale because people confuse the home sale with how much money they made, which isn't true. Again, we'll use the example of the million dollar home. If you bought it for a million dollars and you sold it two years later for 1.2, you didn't make 1.2 million. You made 200,000. Minus the fees. Minus the fees, yeah. minus the interest you paid on the mortgage. Yeah. Because that's write offable as well. So, but too many people see the 1.2 and say, wow, you made 1.2. That's not true. So, where the capital gains comes in is you would take the interest you paid on the mortgage. Now, pretend you paid $10,000 of interest on the mortgage, as an example. Plus, pretend you paid $30,000 in real estate fees, another five in lawyers' fees. So, that's going to be about 45,000. So that from that $200,000 gain, you're going to be paying taxes on 165. And on that 165, it's going to be roughly 25% of that. So you're still ahead because 25% um 165 65 30 is about $40,000. So what ends up happening is you'll end up with 125 in your pocket after paying the taxes. It's still lower than income taxes just so you know. Now So that's what capital gains tax is. Now, what happens right now, if it is your primary home, which means the home that you live in, you're exempt from that capital gains tax. So now the talk has been them taking away that exemption so that you will have to pay it even when you sell the home you live in. Um, It's come up numerous times, not just during this this uh, liberal government it's coming through different governments it's come up throughout history the topic has been brought been brought up numerous times and nobody's ever acted on it um there's always real backlash on it so no government has actually moved forward 
I don't think this will be something they'll move forward on. I think it's going to be more of just talk and maybe a scare tactic to see how people react and maybe uh, a diversion to something else they're going to do. Who knows? Um, I wouldn't worry about it too much. Maybe if you're that worried about it, send a letter to your uh, member of parliament and tell them that you're concerned and you're against it. At least they have it on record of what your thoughts are. Other than that, just keep living life and, not, and don't worry about it. Yeah. I mean, I, we got a lot of stuff to worry about already, so we don't need to add <laughs> this, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, you know, it's not something to worry about right now. Um, the next one. Number I five? Keep, yeah. Do you want to read? Okay, sure. I keep hearing all the real estate gurus say that you need to invest in cash flowing properties. Then I hear some real estate agents say that it's okay to take a property that even costs $200 a month because the appreciation will outgrow the monthly loss. Who's right? I'm I'm in Toronto. I don't think I can get cash flowing properties in the city. So do I still buy in the city and take monthly shortage, or do I find elsewhere? And where is elsewhere? Ooh, who? Uh, that <laughs> is a great, great question. So, so go, ahead, go, ahead. go ahead. Okay. okay. <laughs> so, everyone, um, go ahead, Ben. Go ahead. Yes, it's true. In this uh, in this geographical area it's very difficult to find positive cash flow properties and they're not very they're not available everywhere they're like maybe you would find a few uh triplex or fourplex that if you add up all the rents from the units several units it might be cash flow but as a one condo or a, a house and a basement i yes it's it's not but um at the same time having a negative cash flow is not a bad thing because because first of all, it's taxable, so it's, it, it gives you tax credit, um, and then and then when you do sell the property or refinance it, you that uh, that will outgrow the, the whatever cost that you were paying. Now, if you're looking for positive cash flow, it's, it is an extra income that you can rely on, but at the same time, it's also taxable, so you got to pay taxes on it. So you're going to deduct it from your income tax and see how much that's left after the taxes that you paid on it. So. Elsewhere would be anywhere away from the the GTA. Like you, there's like fourplex and triplex. You know, in in like I don't know, maybe uh, Woodstock or London or stuff. They 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 will probably be a positive cash flow. Yeah. Now I think a little bit different than you. I am hung up on the cash flow myself. Okay. Because um, I mean, I guess a personal. It's a personal decision. I don't think it's a. There's a wrong. Um, there's no wrong answer because it, it, what you said is true. Appreciation will still outgrow that $200 loss as an example. But at the same time, I think you have to ask yourself, do I need the property to be in the city? Like, what is your overall plan? Now, for example, if you're going to get the triplex, I'm going to use your example. If you're getting a triplex and you plan to live in one, well, then you would be paying rent or be paying a mortgage on a different property. So you're going to be losing money just on that regardless. So with that being said, better to take a smaller loss and take the appreciation. But if this is just an extra property and you're doing it for an investment purpose, then I think you would be better off to leave the city and get a cash flowing deal. Because, you know, reality is people say cash is king. I say that's horse crap. Cash flow is king. So because even inflation alone will, will diminish cash in the bank. So cash is trash. So I believe in a cash flowing properties. So that means if you have to leave the city to get a cash flowing property, absolutely do it. 
That's that's my opinion. And I would not, even my own opinion, again, this is just opinion. My opinion is I would not even invest in one door. You always want multi-doors. So if you're going to go with single family residential, you need a minimum of a bungalow so you can have upstairs and downstairs to rent those separately. That will always bring higher incomes and give you more positive cash flow opportunity. Now, that's just one avenue. Triplex is good. A fourplex is good. You're, you might even be able to partner with somebody and get a sixplex as an example. So the more doors you have, the better off you are. Um, but yeah, if you have to leave the uh, if you, you have to leave the city to get cash flowing properties, that's what I suggest doing. I definitely 100% think that uh, cash flow properties are important. I, again, it's not the end of the world if you're losing 200 because appreciation is outgrowing that. But I would choose a cash flow property first. That's me. And um, yeah, so. Uh, so in terms of, uh, yeah, again, because even when you have cash flow properties, you can also use that income base towards uh, another investment at a future date. If it's a cash loss business, that's actually going to negatively impact you. So that's another reason. So yeah, I, I would, you know, go outside of the city. You can still find um, properties that can cash flow, whether you're going to like in the Niagara region whether or Hamilton or uh, Brantford, um, you can find it in Cambridge, uh, London, like like you said, Chatham. So there's still opportunities there. I mean, by no stretch is there a lot of opportunities, not like there used to be, but there still is opportunity. You just got to be patient and look for it. So yes, I think cash flow properties is important. But again, it's better to be in the market than to not be in the market. So $200 loss and you can still get in the market or cash or, you know, not get in the market. I would say take the $200 loss, take the appreciation. But if you can get in the market outside of the city and get cash flow, go do it. So anything else you disagree? No, no. I, I it's, it's, as you said, it's, there's no right or wrong in this situation, depending on each person's preference, but, uh, they each has pros and cons. So. Yes. Okay, number six. I am seeing homes on the market for a longer time than before. I want to make a move by selling my home and buying a new one in a different area. Do you think I should sell my home first or buy a new home first? I'm sure the answer will be different now than it was, say, six months ago. Um, I think you should sell now first and then buy. I um, would have said, you're right, I would have said something different six months ago. But today, even the market is kind of rocky, and it's still not a clear-cut answer one way or another. But homes are taking a little longer to sell, but not a dangerous longer, because a normal market is a home sells between one and three months. That is normal. Like for a seller's market, that's what you expect. What we had where homes were selling in less than a week is absurd and not something we could uh, should expect. So what ended up happening was we had we got used to this ridiculous market. So now we think the ridiculous market is normal. But let me assure you, that was not normal. That was very abnormal. So we are in what I call a normal seller's market. So it still won't be an easy buy, but a lot easier before. So yeah, you can feel a little safer by selling your home first and then going out to buy. 
maybe even have one where you do it at the same time. When you get an offer, you could put in another offer on another house, have the same closing day. A little risky in the way that if one of your homes don't close, so you know it could be a chain effect, but it's a lot less risky than having a home sold, doing a bridge uh, mortgage so you can find another place later, right? So it's one of those things I would uh, I would sell first then buy. That's me. What would you do? Uh? Um, for me, it depends on what I'm selling and what I'm buying, and because the area could could play a major part of it because if it's in a like a good school neighborhood that I know that there's always demand, even that the, it's taking longer to sell, my answer would be different. So it, it, each situation is different. I, we, there's no like a, just this one answer for all types of homes. Right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like the, if it's a condo, it's a townhouse, what area is it downtown? Like there's, it needs a little bit of, you know, reviewing. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, again, rely on your agent who is advising yeah. you. But uh, I mean, again, um, yeah, I mean, we don't know the market, how it's going right now. So, but. And, you know, and if, if, if the house was bought, the one that they want to sell was bought long time ago. So they know they have a lot of equity in it. It's also not a bad idea to, to buy another house, close on it, make sure that they, they actually close on it and then move to it and then take their time selling their home like while being away from it staging it properly renovating few things to get a better deal that kind of plan yeah that is an option i mean again that requires bridge financing and i'm not a fan of paying banks more fees but again i wouldn't buy first no matter what because like i wouldn't buy if you're not first i would find out if you're allowed to if you can get bridge financing because they may not approve you on that. That that would be the first step. So first step would be talk to the mortgage broker. Yeah. Right. Once you find out whether you can get the bridge or not, then you have to decide on, you know, if you know if you're willing to pay the fees should something happen. Uh, because then the other thing comes down is that yeah, bridge financing comes with fees, so you're paying more. But at the same time, if you buy and you don't sell first, then you have to close and pay those fees. Are you going to be able to get the money you want out of your home? If that's the case, then it might be worth it. Because if you get more money by waiting, you might actually get more than what you paid the bank in fees. But if it's one of those things that you're going to end up selling it for a loss now because you're scared or you can't get a hold on to the home or you can't get the bridge financing you thought you could, then that can cost you a lot more money. So okay. the really step is to talk to the mortgage broker first and see what your financial options are. But what what if that that family or that person um, did a refinance on their on their existing property, and they took out equity that is more than enough for twenty percent down payment on their new home? Would well, they still buy with that twenty percent that they just took out from their equity? Again, that means, that means they're carrying on two mortgages, and they may yeah. not get approved for that. Yeah, true. Right. So what it comes down to is the because uh, trust me, if the option was if you can get approved for two homes and rent out the home you live in, that is the better option. Keep an investment income. But in this circumstance, I think they want to they have to sell. Yeah. And being that they have to sell, which means bridge financing. Sometimes they give you bridge financing, even if you don't qualify for the double mortgage because it's short term. A, a different set of rules. Not always. But again, that's why it comes to talking to the mortgage broker first to make sure 
Got it. But the thing is that, um, yeah, because I mean, the approvals on a, on a bridge is a lot different than the approvals for an actual unit. Yeah. So with that being said, you need to know your finances first. Um, and again, what will your home sell? Like if you're, if you have it on the market while you're looking and the only offer you get, again, I'm going to use the million dollar property. If your only offer you get is 900,000, but you know, you can get a million on it or a million and 20. I don't think that bridge financing is going to cost you a hundred grand. So that being said, you're better off to hold on to the house, even if you are moving, right? You're not versus being desperate and selling it for the 900 just to get out. But if it's one of those things that you're not in a rush, you have the ability to sell, take the money and go buy and save the fees. So, and also the area matters to what do you want to move to? Yeah. All right. So how many times should I view a house before deciding to purchase it? Depends. Huh? Are they married or with the wife or no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one, right? So at the end of the day, reality is that you have so much with virtual tours that are out there. You can view it online so many times. And the in-person view really should just be to confirm what you saw yeah. is the same. Um, at the same time, you got to be comfortable. So if you're comfortable on the first one, then go see it, then offer on the first one. If you're not comfortable and you want to see it another two times, then go see it another two times. Um, the only thing you have to worry about is whether you have enough time to see it before, you know, someone else buys it from you kind of thing or under you, <laughs> you know, it's really, that's what it comes down to. As long as the uh, homes on the market, see it two, three times, see it once, see it twice, whatever you feel comfortable where you don't feel that you're going to get buyer's remorse is the amount of times you should see it. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I believe in the virtual tour thing and just going to confirm that everything is in the same situation. Um, no damages, no leaks, nothing, no humidity, that kind of thing. It's just that's, but I would say two to three visits is the normal. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I mean, if it's if it's possible, if if it's sold, then it's sold. Sometimes yeah, of course. You don't get that. Yeah, of course. I mean, I've had uh, different experiences. I've seen it. I've been through where people know they want the house the first time they see it. So yeah. everyone, it's everyone's comfort level. Yep. So uh, eight. When I choose a real estate agent, doesn't matter if they are part of. Part they are part-time or full-time like i have a full-time job and a part-time one i don't think i'm any worse at my job because it's part-time but i have had other to tell me hire full-time people only ah okay yeah i mean like, it's true i mean if uh, if everybody was worse at their job because they're part-time we wouldn't have part-time employees people would just hire full-time only um this one here is kind of a sticky subject i personally think that it, this one's a tough one. Um, I don't, I personally don't think it matters if the person is knowledgeable enough and pays attention to the market. The issue I find with part-time people is that they're focused on their full-time job and this is just a side thing. So they don't really dig in and learn the markets. They just go, Read everything that you can read off the MLS and and go with that. Whatever it is, it is. They won't put in the extra research because they're busy with their full-time job and don't think they have to. Where someone who's doing it full-time 
is fully embodied into the industry and goes the extra step and mile to learn on what's going on, what's going on in the area, what's going on in the market and stuff like that. But I mean, this is an individual thing. Being part-time doesn't mean you don't keep up to date. Patterns will tell you that part-time people do not, but it doesn't mean that's always true. So it really, it's based on the agent. I think you have to interview the agent, test their knowledge, ask them lots of questions to see how much do they really know and see how comfortable you are with their answers. So it's individual based, not general based. On a general based, part-timers will not know as much as the full-timers because they're not fully in the, in the market. But individually, you might find someone that's just as good or even better than the one doing it full-time because they're not half in the bag too. That's but my it also, it also affects the, the schedule and the time they have because like back then when the properties used to sell in like three days and the new li listing comes on the market in the area that you've been looking for and while your agent is not available to take you for a showing because he's at his full-time job. Yeah, but you know what? Full-time job is 9 to 5 or 3 to 11. You can, If the schedule works and you can go after work and you don't mind doing... I mean, the idea of doing part-time is that you could work your 9 to 5 and then go show homes at 6 and 7 p.m. If a part-time part-timer is going to be fully dedicated to do that and they don't need to go home to relax or rest or, you know what I mean, get their mind at ease and they're actually willing to do the work, then you know what? It doesn't really matter because they can. it just means that if you want to go see at 1 p.m. and your part-timer's got his full-time job, he's not going at 1 p.m. unless yeah. he has some availability to take it off work to go for whatever. But then that's something you have to discuss with the agent itself. Discuss their process. Like that's part of the interview. You discuss their process, their availability, what they, how, you know, how they uh, can help you and what their, uh, their idea is and what their plan is. And if their plan and their schedule works for you and you can, uh, you know, work with their schedule, then it really doesn't matter. But if it's one of those ones that you got a conflicting schedule, well, if you got a conflicting schedule before you started, it's only going to get worse. So that should be the key indicator. Yeah. Yeah. And plus like when you're, if it's like your first property and it's your, it's going to be your principal residence. You you also want to have someone who's who's like who sleeps, eats, and 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 everything real estate because because it's your biggest investment. If someone is doing it on the side, I maybe I won't be very comfortable with that. Yeah, but it comes down to comfort level, right? Like I, again, you know what? I know some people that are part time that'll be able to uh, make a full time or look like a fool. But then I also know a lot of uh, part-timers that uh, you tell them something that was on the news in the morning and they go, huh? <laughs> right? So it really depends on the individual. I, I, I going, The general rule is generally people who are part-time, it's a side business, so they're not as focused. That's the general rule. But again, that's why it comes down to interviewing the person to see if they're on the mark or not. And you have to ask a lot of questions. And if there's a lot of I don't knows, let me check it into it. I'll get back to you. It means they're not really paying attention to the market and they don't really know. And they're only checking in because you ask them. So that being said, maybe that's a warning sign. So you got to feel comfortable at the end of the day. All right. Last question. Want to read? Number nine. Yeah. Or you want me to read it? Uh, I'll go ahead. No worries. I, I found a listing on realtor.ca and I sent it to my agent. I said I was interested in the home. He said that he would look it up and try to get it booked 
but it's on the different board than the one he's on. Should I be concerned? Is there any reason my agent wouldn't have easy access to it? Does does this mean that I'm not seeing it all available homes in his email? The answer to all of it is yes. Um, <laughs> what what it is is that basically what it comes down to is that uh, when you join a brokerage, they have a home board. For example, when I was with Royal Page Signature, I would have been on uh, the uh, on Treb as my home board. So unless I subscribe to a different board, the Toronto Real Estate Board would be the only board I'm on. So generally, I would look at that. That would cover basically Toronto. And um, doesn't mean there's not listings outside of Toronto, but it's Toronto-based. That's the bulk of it. So when you go to Burlington, as an example, they have their own board. So the agents out here would be on, you know, the Hamilton-Burlington board, and the listings will be on that board. So what ends up happening is me as a Toronto agent moving towards Burlington, I may not see all the listings. Now, I particularly sign up to multiple boards, which were allowed to do that. So and you sh generally, generally, a realtor who is working multiple areas should be on the boards he's working on. That's an opinion as well. So someone like me, because of that, I would see all of it. Um, but if someone chooses not to be part of a board, maybe they're helping you individually, but don't generally do that area, they would not see it. Um, should you be concerned? That depends. That depends on how informed that agent is, how much work they do. Chances are that we have other resources, I mean, like that we can use. I mean, if you found it on realtor.ca and they didn't come up with it, and they're not sending you stuff that's not from the one board, chances are they're not doing the research past their own board. Now, that's a speculation. I can't say that for a fact. Everybody's different. Um, but the reality is you're finding it on realtor.ca and they're not sending it to you. So more than likely, they're just looking on their board. Should you be concerned? That is your personal preference. How, how much does that bother you? If that bothers you, then yes, be concerned. Um, again, at the, at the end of the day, it, who you work with is very important. And you have to work with someone you know, like, and trust. And that's what it comes down to. Um, if an agent's not providing you with all the options, I don't think they're doing their full due diligence. I don't think that they're pretty much showing you everything that's available to you. So I, I would, uh, I tend to believe that you work with people who know the area and if they know the area, they'll be on the boards that matter for that area. So yeah, I, I, I don't believe that you should get a person from Toronto to go up to North Bay and help you in North Bay. Because chances are that person doesn't know, you know, knows probably less than you do about North Bay. Because if you're looking in there, you've done your research. So I would get local people for local places. So if you're going to North Bay, find somebody in North Bay. Maybe the agent you uh, know can get a recommendation. So at least, uh, you know, there's still some sort of connection there. That's my opinion. But yeah, it is important to be on the local boards. And that's probably why they don't see it. Um, it's not may not be the only reason, and this could be a one-off. Again, it goes back down to, you know, talking to the people uh, that you that, that you're working with and finding out where their specialty is and what they uh, do have access to. When you hire an agent, ask what boards they're a part of, and see if that matches the area you're looking at. That's my thought. What do you think, Sad? Yeah, I agree. Um... It, it, if it's in a different area, it's not very recommended, especially if the agent doesn't have access to 
to to the board because you will be missing some on some listings. Um, so it depends on what area you you're planning to to invest in. Uh, you have to make sure that the agent does have the access to the board. Maybe not part of the board, but he has access to the board. So I yeah. have, for example, access to a lot of boards that I'm not part of, but I, I but I do have that service that uh, that I like use to to have access to their to their listings. Exactly. I mean, you don't have to have somebody that lives in Grimsby to service Grimsby, but they should at least be able to get the information and know where to look. Yeah. You know, if they don't know what they're looking at, then how can they service it? Yeah. So that's just the thing, right? So that is all the questions for today that we have. I saw something on the internet that uh, I'm debating whether to bring it up or not because I found it uh, not humorous, but a kind of a sad, you know, sad reality where it's uh, somebody was ranting on the internet and goes, I'm so done with home prices and crazy price bidding by rich buttholes. Um, the house across the street from my parents was built in 2014 and sold for 185 K at the time. I went to college aspiring to own a small, simple home like that. At the time going through college, 2014 to 2018, I thought I will work really hard until I am 30, save up for a down payment, and this, and then I will be able to afford a starter home like this with a spouse. Four days ago, the house was listed for sale for 540k. Today, it sold for 935k. Literally, WTF? I have lost hope. I'm stuck living with my parents because I can't afford anything. My apartment that I retired, that rented in, not retired, that I rented in 2018-19 was $800 a month. Right now, it's $2,800 a month. And in order to qualify, your income must be three times the monthly rate. I feel defeated. Everything I worked for is so hard in the past 10 years is officially out of reach. Um, sadly, you're not alone on this. A lot of people have experienced that. Yeah. And it is a sad reality. Does that mean there's zero options for you? No, there's definitely options out there. It may just may not be the ones you want. Um, like prime example, yes, maybe, maybe you can't get into the market by yourself at this point, but you have the option of joint venturing with somebody. Maybe get two couples. Go back to what I always say, the bungalow. Have two Two of you buy together, two couples, one lives upstairs, one lives downstairs, just long enough to save up enough equity to bump yourself up to the next level where you can afford the home by yourself. Like that's always an option. Um, again, I don't think you're going to ever out earn the appreciation or inflation. The salaries go up one or 2%. Inflation this year alone was 7%. So saving is a great idea. I mean, it's definitely important because without a down payment, what are you buying? But uh, again, sometimes I think you need to be a little bit more creative in today's uh, market in terms of uh, obtaining, you know, a home. That's just the reality. And But it's not a reason to give up. Just get creative. Partner up with people. Maybe get into a joint venture, even for a rental income with somebody other, you know I mean? Guys, build up equity, keep it for five years, sell it, take the extra equity. That might be the boost you need to be able to get into your own unit later. So it might just be uh, a five-year delay, but it's not impossible. It's just not as easy as it was before, which is always why we say get into the market as soon as you possibly can, regardless of what you buy. It doesn't matter. Just get in the market. 
And that's just been my consistent advice. What are your thoughts on this? Yes. So there's always somehow a way they can also consider pre-construction if they don't want to do it with someone else. Um, they can just uh, buy somewhere further uh, now, like uh, put a deposit, pre-construction, and then five years later when the unit is ready, they can buy them, they can definitely close on it with a mortgage. So, so pre-construction, buying with someone else. Um, but yeah, as long as you invest somewhere, you have your name on something. So when, yeah. as years goes by, you, you will be building equity. And you can build equity both ways. So whether you have it as a resale, you bought it already, or you you, ha- you sign up for a pre-construction. Absolutely. It's, it's unfortunate that what happened in the past few years for a lot of people, but you get to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. We can't uh, reverse time. You can't change things. Yeah. Uh, again, sometimes you got to just drive until you can afford to buy. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, so that's this week's Q and A. Um, it was awesome. I think that was a lot of great questions. I mean, hey, buddy. Uh, I mean, this was a this was a great show, man. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely great questions today, for sure. So that's this week's Q and A, and we will see you on the very next one.